Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. It's really important to raise awareness around around sexual assault, in part just because of the prevalence of the issue. So if you look at um, statistics around the rates of um, sexual assault occurrence, it's pretty much impossible to ignore the conclusion that most people, if they haven't experienced sexual assault themselves, they know um, someone or maybe multiple people who have. Whether they necessarily know that about someone in their life or realize that or not, um, most of us, uh, likely based on the statistics, have people in our lives who have been impacted um, directly by this. The research in this area has been pretty consistent over a period of time on around um, about 25% of, of um, women experiencing sexual assault. So the rates vary based on various different identity factors, but that's been a pretty consistent rate over the years. We've done some studies on campus. Um, in 2015, U of M did its own campus climate study related to students um, specifically in sexual misconduct and also participated in the AAU survey, which we did again in 2019, um, participate in the AAU survey again. And um, there's about 33 institutions um, participated in the AAU survey in 2019. So we know a little bit about the national data as well as about the data specific to the University of Michigan. And nationally, um, that study showed about 26% of undergraduate um, identified as women uh, reported having experienced um, some form of, um, of sexual assault and about 6.8% of male identified undergraduates. Um, at U of M, this was around 34% of undergraduate women reported that they had experienced some form of non-consensual touching or sexual penetration. Um, and this was actually down from about 38% in 2015. And of that, about 17% of all undergraduates um, reported that they've actually arrived at U of M having already experienced some form of unwanted kissing or sexual touching. So this is something that's really common. There's some um, studies showing also that actually while we talk a lot about the rates of sexual assault and other forms of sexual misconduct on college campuses, that um, the rates may actually be higher for um, people of a traditional college age, that 18 to 24 range, that have, um, have not or are not attending um, an, an institution of higher education. And so just that preva prevalence alone, um, I think, demonstrates that this is an issue that it's impacting so many of us in some way, um, directly and indirectly, that it's important for us all sort of as a community and a broader community to have some awareness around this issue, to understand that prevalence um, and to understand some of the dynamics around it. And then something that's really important to me is for people to also be able to be resources for information for others in their lives and to know about resources, reporting options, and how to get someone connected with the experts. Um, certainly that's something I think about a lot on U of M's campus. Um, and so having a greater awareness and understanding of these issues across the community, I think can potentially help to ensure that 
people, when they do share this information with a friend or a family member or a professor or whoever they may choose to share it with, can help get connected to the resources um, and offices that may be able to, able to offer assistance to them in a variety of ways. And also that they might be more likely to receive a supportive and empathetic response rather than um, sometimes people can respond in ways that might be unhelpful, whether intentionally or not, like victim blaming, shaming, or trying to dictate or control um, a person's response to their experience or how they choose to proceed or not proceed in reporting or um, other processes. And then finally, I think that along with all of this, more awareness um, comes with the hope at least that more awareness can lead to more conscious efforts to prevent and address these issues um, that people understanding kind of more about the dynamics and also how common these occurrences are we can be more mindful of our own behaviors how we can be proactive bystanders if we see a situation unfolding that causes concern and also to be proactive citizens in terms of creating a culture in our community that is humanizing, that cares for all of, uh, all of its people, and that really honors everyone's bod bodily autonomy to hopefully um, create a cultural difference in the climate that we have, not just at the university, but um, across the world, um, to help sort of prevent these issues and address them appropriately when they do occur. You know, I think this is commonly cited as um, as a as a misconception about sexual assault, but still we continue to see quite a persistence of this mis misconception is um, is sort of the nature of of these incidents, and there's a, a strong inclination to um, imagine that these scenarios are all being perpetrated by strangers to um, the victim or survivor, um, and that they're sort of a uh, surprise attack, um, that they're all physically violent and, and quite forceful in nature, when really the dynamics can be much more complicated than that. Um, the research shows them more often than not, um, someone experiencing sexual assault is experiencing that perpetrated by someone who they know um, to some degree. And it's not uncommon for that to be someone who's actually quite close to them, a friend, um, a romantic partner, family member, um, or um, an acquaintance that they may have quite a bit of, um, of previous engagement with. So that's something I think is still quite a common misconception. And then also some of the dynamics around force versus um, coercion or use of incapacitation due to alcohol or other drugs or other reasons um, as a means of, of accomplishing a sexual assault. One of the, the biggest things that maybe we don't talk about as much, but I think is really important for us to talk about given the discrepancy between the prevalence of, of incidents um, when people are self-reporting on a survey versus what's officially reported for some form of adjudication or other process. I think it's really important to talk about a misconception that anyone who experiences a sexual assault or other forms of sexual misconduct would necessarily want to report that um, 
to any and all possible adjudicatory bodies, the police, the university, um, in our case, the Office for Institutional Equity, that they would want to report that and that they would want the outcome of that report to be the maximum possible punishment. The reality is that's just not what we see. There are a variety of reasons why someone may want exactly that and may choose to report to police or may choose to report um, to the university or to both. And in those processes, they might be seeking for um, the word that we use in our university policies is respondent. They may be seeking for the respondent to be expelled um, or through a criminal process for a prison sentence. And there's many reasons for that. And, and that's certainly a valid um, desired outcome. Equally valid, though, is for someone to not want to report and go through a process or to have a different outcome in mind. So it's not at all uncommon that we hear um, from students as well as from faculty and staff, whether they've experienced sexual assault or other forms of sexual harassment or sexual misconduct, that what they would prefer, what their desired outcome is actually related more to the other person understanding the impact of the incident on them or understanding their behavior or seeking assistance, um, very common for people to express an interest um, in taking whatever action might be useful in preventing future occurrences. Um, so what we see is that not everyone wants to report necessarily. And even when people report, they may do that for a variety of reasons, or there might be a number of different outcomes that they're hoping to achieve by doing that. In our um, U of M campus survey through the AAU, we saw, as we have in past surveys, really this is very um, significantly underreported. Um, and people who self-report that they, in, the, in a survey, that they've experienced sexual assault, um, those numbers don't line up at all with the number of reports that we receive um, in OIE and with the number of people who self-report in those surveys that they reported to an official university resource. Um, so I think that's really important because from my perspective, I certainly recognize that there are lots of reasons why people might choose to report and lots of reasons why people might choose not to report and that's all of that is valid. But from my perspective, we can't do anything about a situation that we're not aware of. And so it's really important to us to um, be able to address concerns and hopefully prevent future um, sexual misconduct at our institution to get reports and to know when there is a concern so that so that we can move forward um, in addressing that. Um, so that's definitely an important thing. We really want to encourage reporting and part of that I think is helping to reduce the stigma. I think another part is helping people to understand what their options are and what they look like. Um, but in reducing the stigma, one of the things I think that's really important is just the support that people receive um, when they first tell someone. So all of our survey results show that people are much more likely to tell a friend or family member than they are to tell an official um, resource or, or reporting office. And this is particularly true in terms of their first disclosure. Um, so I think it's important when people do share information that they receive a response that's not blaming or judging. Um, and that really they're given the space to define their experience and decide how they want to proceed. One of the things that we do a lot of training on is helping people to understand making sure that they know is a best practice to be letting people know um, what obligations they have or what intentions they have to report information, ideally before someone has shared information that they would have to report with them so that that can really be an informed choice.
And one of the fears I have of an unintended consequence of all of that training and making sure that people really understand that's important to do is that I worry it can be misinterpreted as um, unintentionally sending a signal that of course no one would want something reported. And what we really are trying to do is to make sure that people can make informed choices about whether they want something reported or not. So I think that information, making sure that people know that they have options is really important for reducing the stigma. And I think that we um, need to do a good job of balancing the way that we make sure that our community members know how to share information about their role so that people talking to them can make informed choices about what they want to share or not share um, and balancing that with um, also making sure that we're not sending a message that reporting is um, is bad or having something reported is um, is something that people should be afraid of. The key takeaway that um, I feel I am always sort of trumpeting and imperating across campus, but I really would want people to know um, is uh, all of the resources that are available at the university to help. Um, and that's across the board in terms of prevention efforts, education, and community engagement. And that's also in terms of response, um, both supportive um, and in some cases confidential responses and also reporting options. So um, UMPD has a special victims unit. They're excellent, fantastic detectives that are specially trained to handle these cases. That is an option that I want to make sure that people are aware of. The Office for Institutional Equity, also um, our staff of trained investigators are also fantastic, trained in these issues and um, able to offer um, the investigative resolution and other options through the university under the university policies, um, including for students, the adaptable resolution um, option is available under that policy. The Office of Student Conflict Resolution carries out those processes and they are excellent and again, well-trained um, in how to do these in ways that are specifically um, cognizant of the dynamics around sexual assault. And then in terms of supportive resources, one of the things I think is um, I worry might be under-recognized is the fact that there are supportive measures available to students, even if they don't want to, and to faculty and staff, even if they don't want to move forward with any type of formal um, process or reporting. Things like academic measures and accommodations, housing, dining, extracurricular activities, lots of different supportive measures that can be um, used to help support people through their time at the university. Um, and in many cases, those are available even if someone chooses not to pursue any type of formal resolution option. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.